Welcome back to Whistleblower Network News, Whistleblower of the Week podcast. I'm your host, Jane Turner, and this week we're continuing with my interview with FBI whistleblower Mike German. In this episode, Mike continues his story about what he blew the whistle on at the FBI. He also shares his expertise about neo-Nazis and white supremacists. We chat about being FBI whistleblowers, and Mike talks about what he's up to now, still sharing his extensive knowledge in so many ways. This episode starts with a clip from the end of the last episode, just to catch listeners up. Please enjoy this second part of the Mike German story. Well, it, it actually gets worse because, uh, I, okay, I wait for the investigation to start. And finally, after waiting about, and I would call periodically and say, you know, is there, have, you know, is there right. progress behind, you know, what's yeah. going on? And after 90 days, I get a call and they say, an uh, agent is assigned to it. And he says, um, I'd like you to come in for an interview. Said, I, I've already interviewed. I've interviewed Uh-oh. twice at the IG's office. Yeah. What, you know, what would you need? Well, we need to interview you because we're going to evaluate your interview to determine whether we're going to proceed with the investigation. Unbelievable. <laughs> Where it's like, okay, so we're starting again at square one, you know, yes. and, yes. and that's when I realized that that the avenue was also not going to be productive. So I right. went to Congress and was very lucky that Senator Grassley's office was, and Senator Leahy both, they both went on TV, which is, you know, especially that I've been doing the advocacy work and, and lobbying work, um, even more shocking now that I know how the system works. But, you know, I, I because of pre-publication review, I was only a- able to give them, you know, a quarter of what the whole story was. And, you know, my approach was to say, ask for this document, ask for this document, ask for this document, you know, and that will explain the, the gaps in my story. Uh, so not only were they willing to do that, but they went on TV when they had, here's this whistleblower telling us parts of a story. Here's the FBI saying he's a liar. And they went on TV and said, we trust Mike, you know, That's right. And Good move because you were telling the truth. Right. And, and, you know, to Senator Grassley's credit and his, his primary investigator, Jason Foster was a bulldog. I mean, he was really yes. the type of investigator FBI, the FBI needs. Unfortunately, the FBI treated him as an enemy, yes. uh, but it took him four years, but he finally got the key document that that proved what I said was right. Isn't that amazing? Do, do you just shake your head? Were you? Let me ask you this, because so many whistleblowers believe that if just the right person gets, you know, that document or your statement, then they'll come forward and said, oh, uh, they'll say, oh, thank you, good and faithful servant. You know, you were right and. How did you know that was never going to happen? Um, because you seemed to, you sensed it. You knew they were going to just pound you to death. Um, so my first clue was about 
three months in when uh, maybe, maybe longer than that, four or five months in where uh, I was finally being interviewed by uh, the inspector general and OPR attended the interview. Uh, and um, the, the inspector general called me and said, you need to look at this memo. And it was a memo that was written after my whistleblower complaint by the, the subject, uh, the special agent in charge of that office that said, here's what Mike said. This isn't true. This isn't true. This isn't true. This recording didn't happen. In fact, this meeting didn't happen. None of this is true. He lied. Uh, the document was definitely a lie. Okay. It was uh, definitely a lie. And in what fact, they must he not have realized it. is I had a transcript of the meeting they said didn't occur. So not only was it a lie, Mike, but it was a cover-up. It, w- it was a bad lie, right. And, and, and it a was bad cover-up. Because, yeah. because, you know, when I found out about the memo, it ma- everything made sense, right? All the dr- retaliation, the craziness that I was suffering and the reason nobody believed me is because this office had gone on paper saying none of it happened, right? So they're looking at very high level FBI officials saying it didn't happen and this crazy undercover agent saying it did and weighing in favor of the special agent in charge, right? I, I could understand that equation. Uh, but once I came in with the transcript of the meeting that, that they said never occurred of a recording they said didn't exist, and you know, electronic surveillance is very closely yes. guarded in the FBI. There's yes, a very strict protocol for how, how these tapes are handled. You know, that, okay, now we're talking about not just making a false statement in an official document, but actually hiding and potentially destroying evidence in exactly. an FBI investigation. <laughs> that's, this, that's this is a big really, deal. These are criminal offenses. Right, so right. I and I, 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 I want our audience, Mike, to know that the original thing that happened was the informant had left the room when right. he was taping these terrorist groups. Right. The, F- the FBI had, had hired can't this do that. The FBI had hired this informant to collect information about these groups and had given him a recorder or at least given him the authority to use the recorder to do what is called consensual monitoring. If you, if you and I are having a conversation, we both have ownership of that that, right. that conversation. And if I choose to tell somebody else what you said, that's that's not a violation of your rights because you trusted me with the information, whether that trust was uh, appropriate or not. Um, so so that type of recording is legal. But what the informant did was leave the recording device in a room where he wasn't present. So he was no longer part of that conversation and couldn't consent to its recording. That's what's called in FBI parlance, an illegal Title III wiretap. Yeah, that's very serious. Yeah, right. By illegal, not just a violation of policy, not just rules, a crime. That is a criminal act. So that's what happened now. To be clear, that that happens from time to time. People make mistakes. Yes. It, it's a volatile situation. I can't, you know, 
I go into the room with a recorder in my briefcase and put the briefcase down and somebody says, come here. And I go to reach for my briefcase and they say, no, 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 we're coming right back. You don't need your briefcase. Right. Right. You know, okay. There's sometimes accidents happen, Things but there's happen. a procedure. Yeah. There's a procedure in place to say, okay, take this recording, give it to somebody who's not associated with the case so that they can wall off that portion to make sure it's not used uh, in the investigation. But that procedure had not been followed. And that's what I was complaining about. But their response, and in fact, like I said, it, the, the fact that it was so brazen was what surprised me. You know, when I complained to the supervisor, he said, we're just going to pretend it wasn't recorded. We're going to pretend it didn't happen. Unbelievable. And, you know, as an undercover agent at that year, 12 years of experience as an undercover agent, I, I thought I was pretty good at pretending. <laughs> but um, I was not going to pretend uh, on the stand when I'm raising my right. hand as an FBI agent. And uh, I was not willing to go along with that charade. And that's what started the whole thing. Whole thing rolling. But later when they said, you know, this didn't exist and I had a transcript to it, I assumed at that point the weight of the evidence was immediately going to shift. Uh, but it, I and I should have known that the, the fix was in from the beginning because midway through that second interview with the IG, when I brought up the, the uh, transcript, the OPR investigator leaves the room and he comes back and says, oh, I have good news. They found the recording. Oh, my. How so in the middle work? of my interview, they, they called the, the people I was accusing of, of, you know, at that point, criminal misconduct and let him start no. covering the, the, the errors that they made. So immediately they wrote a new memo saying, oh, that other memo was written in error. Here's what happened. And then told a completely different story uh, and then actually went to the file and changed documents in the file. Used whiteout to alter documents in the file. Well, of course we'd use whiteout. We're the premier law enforcement agency in right. the world. Of course we'd use whiteout. But, uh, and that's really, that's what's called like a cover-up. But it right. wasn't only that. They had meetings that they never put on paper. And the Bureau has a strict rule about that also, because right. we don't tape. A lot of people don't know that, that we do not tape statements. The Bureau has always been against that. So yeah. when we they, they actually changed that. Eric Holder changed that rule. Oh, he did. Excellent. Yeah. But yeah. back Which then. It is a huge improvement that. that, that oh, I'm sure it was. In custody interviews. I, yeah, I never did understand that one. But yeah. back in your time, it had to be right. consigned within seven days, right? Uh, yeah, I think it was even well, five business days. Oh, yeah. five business days. Yes, yes. Five business days. It was never done. And this right. was months later. Right. And that's the thing. There were all kinds of administrative problems that were in the case when they asked me to come and do the undercover work. So that those administrative errors were sort of building in frustration and Again, part of the mismanagement that was going on, but ultimately, you know, it came. The last domino was this actual illegal recording that I knew. Yes. I, you know, you, you you can explain some administrative errors. You know, basically, what would happen is I'd be sitting on the stand presenting the evidence, and the defense attorney would get a shot, and they would say, "Oh, you referenced this meeting, and uh, when did the meeting occur?" <laughs> And I would say it occurred on this date. Oh, that's interesting because the FD 302 right. is dated differently than that. Isn't there <laughs> a rule? Right. 
Oh, well, if you're violating those rules, what other rules what are you violating? Uh, so, so, you know, I was realizing each one was a plank in a defense argument. Yes. But finally, when it got to something criminal, that was something I, I could no longer be silent about. And an interesting aspect of that, Mike, is that when this was boiling, they tried to shove it down to the lowest person on the totem pole. They said, well, that case agent, he was all screwed up, he or she. Right. And of course, it went way beyond the case agent. It was the whole office, wasn't it? It was the guy right. or gal at the top. It was right. not just some low GS 13. Right. And it, and it was interesting because once I went to Congress, uh, the inspector general then started doing an investigation, a legitimate investigation that took yes. another year plus. So, you know, a year and a half after I had resigned from the FBI, this uh, IG report came out that verified a lot of this and talked about the falsification of, of the records. But, you know, even this part about whiting out portions of a, a document to alter the information in it, the IG claimed their investigation was unable to find out who had altered the documents. So that's reassuring. Somebody was able to get into an informant file in the FBI and alter Highly, documents. highly locked away. Uh, you have to sign in. Yeah, sure. And I'm I can't, sure. I can't yeah. believe that would have happened without no. a lot of people knowing about it. And a lot of people saying we're all going to keep our mouth shut about this. Uh, I'll back up 100 percent on that one. And, and it was funny because when Inspector General's investigator called me to tell me that he found it, uh, he said, you know, I cannot believe that that they would be so crass as to use whiteout. You know, it's so obvious. You know, once I went to the office and looked at the record that what they had done. And, you know, why do you think they would be that brazen? And I told him, I said, because nobody will care. That's right. And he got mad at me and said, you know, I'm investigating this yeah. and this is going to be a big part of the report. And oh, I said, yeah. well, we'll see. We'll see who gets fired. And of course, nobody got fired. No, of course not. Because that's the way it is. You don't fire management in the FBI, do you? Right. So uh, uh, what I'm curious about, Mike, is. When they finally, the IG came through saying everything Mike German said was true, did the FBI, since they had issued a press release saying you were a liar, did they ever follow up with a press release saying, you know, a mistake, he's not a liar? Or was that allowed to remain out there? Yeah, it, it, and it was it was interesting because it, it, uh, the IG didn't didn't say I was right in everything. They, they said I was right about the retaliation. Uh, but they said that that the, the 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 meeting didn't actually involve any terrorism conspiracy, so therefore this was not a failed terrorism investigation. And what they relied on was the FBI saying there was no terrorism discussed at this meeting. Uh, another lie, which was another which, lie. Which again, there's a transcript of the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> we and don't have was. to quibble about what, right. you know, the inspector general did not have to rely on what the FBI inspection division said about the, the, the meeting. There was a transcript of it. And that's what Grassley finally got a hold of. And in a hearing with Robert Mueller, he he 
read parts of the transcript where, you know, the, the people were, t- the subjects of the, of the meeting were talking about uh, killing journalists. They were talking about yes. uh, 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 arms shipments into the Gaza Strip. They were talking about, you know, and he just sort of went down the line. And then he said to Robert Mueller, have you read this transcript? And he says, no, I don't have to because I have an inspector general report that says no terrorism was discussed in it. So, no, so the, the, the FBI says something false. The inspector general relies on the false FBI yeah. statement. And then the FBI uses the inspector general's statement to say that they don't have to look at this anymore. Oh, exactly. And you see that in almost every FBI whistleblower. In my case, I was at the arrest of Christopher Boyce, uh, had a letter from, you know, you know this story, a letter from the Attorney General of the United States. The FBI said, no, she wasn't there. She's nuts. And uh, nuts and sluts is how they deal with their women. And of course, people would say, well, why would the FBI lie? Well, the bottom line is they lie when they want to save their reputation. It's as simple as that. And you are a premier case to show that there was terrorism discussed. You've you have not only uh, solved bombings, you have stopped bombings. I believe they were going to kill some prominent African-Americans. They were going to bomb some huge African-American churches, synagogues. And you stopped that. I mean, you are a hero. There's no two ways about it. And they treated you like the worst person in the bureau, called you a liar. Right. And again, I, I think, you know, rather than my reputation protecting me, it, it actually made me, you know, especially you have to remember, this is 2002. So the FBI is going through tremendous changes. Uh, and, you know, for them, I think, it was a way, especially coming off the criticism after uh, Colleen Rowley's letter, that, hey, you want to report some mismanagement? This is what's going to happen to you. You Here's this agent that a lot of people know uh, that has done good work. We're we're happy to destroy his his career. That's right. To prevent people from from reporting mismanagement. That's right. I I think that lesson was one that they were happy to spread throughout the FBI. And, you know, part of the reason, you know, I I think if you would talk to me in 2002, no matter what they did, I wasn't going to resign. But part of what disheartened me before, you know, in the in the next two years before I resigned in 2004 was that I did have a lot of friends in the FBI. I know you did. And they would call me and say, hey, you know, I just, you know, came out of this really weird meeting where, you know, we were talking about something that had nothing to do with nothing, but somehow your name came up and they told me they're about to do this to you. Yes. You know, that they're pulling these strings and they're going to have this thing happen to you. Uh, You know, so I just wanted to give you a heads up. And I would say... there's an inspector general investigation. Would you call the inspector general and tell him what you told me? And there'd be silence and they'd say, look, I can't do that. You know, I want, I want to help you. And that's why I'm giving you the information, but you're going to have to get a different source to, right. 
I have that. a family to feed. I have this. I right. have that. I, yeah, we've all heard. They were going to be a witness, with rare exceptions, right. and I, and I appreciate those exceptions that people who did, did stick their neck you out did step forward. Me. Well, and and you were highly regarded. You were considered probably one of the leading experts in the FBI. So yes, it was very. But they they obviously had a campaign to, yeah. you know, not only shut you up. Right. But to make you look like the worst thing that ever worked uh, at the FBI. But you had friends all over. And it was funny because it, it would come out of the weirdest corners. Yeah. You know, people who I had never met, who I had never worked with, who had nothing to do with the investigation that went awry, who had nothing to do with the chain of command, you know, but they were sort of getting on the, getting on the, on the bus, you know, okay, you know, management has said the bus is going this way. Okay, well, I want to be on the bus. And in fact, yep. you know, I'm happy to drive for a period of time. Oh, heck yeah. That makes the management happy. Oh, heck yeah. So I, I certainly learned a lot about the Bureau that, you know, later on, and, and even at the time, I remember saying, again, to another female agent who I, I had great respect for, that this was happening. And I'm like, if she was a supervisor and was going to do something that would connect her to me. And I wanted to warn her that you know, that might not be the best thing right now. And, uh, and I, I said, you know, I know it sounds unbelievable, but this is what's happening. And she, she kind of looked at me quizzically and said, you don't know that's how the bureau is. <laughs> you know, yeah. you've been around a while you did, you know, yeah, this is what happens when you complain, you know, yeah. and then told me her own story about, you know, some retaliation she received for complaining about some misconduct. And, you know, so it was always there. You know, I was wrapped up in my own investigations and sure. not really paying attention to it. And I think that's true of most agents that, that you know, it's it's a hard job and it's a very time right. job and you don't have time to worry about other people's business. Um, and uh, or the politics or the politics. And, and yeah. when there, you know, and it's easy to believe when when there's some dust up that, oh, you know, I, I know Mike well, I know that he worked well on this case, mm -hmm. but I don't know what he did on that case. So mm -hmm. if, if, you know, people are saying that he screwed up. Yeah, maybe he screwed up. You know, <laughs> I'm certainly not going to risk my own no, neck by, yeah. by defending somebody in, in a matter I don't know anything about. But it was kind of shocking. You had SACs, special agent in charge. We should tell our audience they're the ones who run the offices. Like there, you know, was one that was head of Seattle, one ahead of Portland, one ahead of uh, LA. But you had SACs who didn't even know you that were slamming you just to be on that bus to say, oh, well, you know, we're right. with, you know, we're with the people who want to run this organization. We're not going to stand up for a truth teller. Right, exactly. And, and you know, they I didn't even know you. I found out through Senator Grassley's investigation years later that there were actually leaks from the inspector general's office. So what I had told yep. the inspector general was leaking back to the FBI. Uh, yep. And, and you know, uh, so it, it was certainly um, an eye opening experience yes. that that yes. you know, my only regret is that I didn't realize it earlier and wasn't able to support other people who were going through through things that I didn't didn't wasn't aware of. Um, but you're doing it now, Mike. 
You're doing I, it now. I try to. And, and you, you know, I'm sure for a lay audience, kind of like, uh, you know, what I experienced where people were going, really, the FBI would tank a terrorism investigation because they want to <laughs> retaliate against an agent. You know, that doesn't really make sense. But there there was a, 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 a woman who was a supervisor in the behavioral analysis unit who I write about in, the, in my second book, Disruptive yes. Credit Divide, that, that luckily there was an inspector general investigation of the FBI's investigation of her. She had made a, a, a discrimination uh, complaint and there was this entire investigation that occurred that found her uh, ineffective in her position. So that justified Ooh. moving her loss of effectiveness investigation uh, and her colleagues who supported her. There was a group of them that the FBI went over, um, but they justified it based on this inspection uh, report that, that detailed all these deficiencies in her work. And to his credit, the, this is a different inspector general. It was Glenn Fine who did, who was the inspector general in oh, my yeah. case. And this was Michael Horowitz, who has been a, a better at protecting. Yes, yeah, yes he has. Yes, he, uh, he did a, an investigation of the inspection division investigation and found out it was just chock full of lies that they would go out and interview witnesses who are quoted in the inspection division report saying derogatory things about this agent only to find, oh, no, I never talked about her that way. Right. I, I said that she was very effective. She was great. She was always yep. available. She was and and comp which is you know, one of the few documents that is on paper that every person can read that, again, here was this very effective supervisor in the FBI who they're completely willing to destroy her career because she complained about managers engaged in misconduct. And, and it's all documented that, that the lengths they went to, uh, to to retaliate against her. So, you don't have to believe me or Jane Turner. Yeah, we've lived it. Yeah. But I'll tell you, it, now that you brought up your second book, which is Disrupt, Discredit and Divide, How the New FBI Damages Democracy, that was an incredible read. If you want to really get a handle on the FBI, read that book, Disrupt, Discredit and Divide, How the F New FBI Damages Democracy. You lay it, lay it out just as clear as a bell. Thanks. And, and Brilliant you know, book. I, I, I tell your story, yes. uh, unfortunately, not with all the, the detail that uh, that I'd like to. Um, and, you know, what was interesting in even writing the book is is how similar the retaliation was to, you know, both that in each of these cases, these are agents who had a record of accomplishment that made them stars, you know, the yeah. work that you've done throughout your career. It was groundbreaking, especially, again, for, for a woman agent in a law enforcement uh, environment that's that's yeah. very alpha male-ish. Uh, you know, the, the accomplishments that you had are incredible, and I hope you, you hold on to those, um, that they were willing in each of these cases to destroy effective agents rather than admit error. You know, we all have to admit errors when we make mistakes. We're on, you know, anybody who's, who's been in law enforcement has been beaten up by a defense attorney for some minor mistake that they made in an investigation for spelling some, something wrong in, in a form. I mean, just ridiculous stuff. And yes. you have to 
sit there and take it and say, yes, you know, I wish I had proofread yep. that, that document better. I wish I yep. had been careful. Uh, you know, I, I don't have an excuse. I, I, I misspelled I yep. the word, you know, or, or I, you know, wasn't able to write that 302 within the, the five business days as required. And it took me another three or four days to finish it, you know, and, and that's my fault. I should have been on top of it. Uh, uh, where for whatever reason, when FBI agents become managers, they're no longer willing to, uh, Brooke, any kind of criticism. Right. It's it's an amazing phenomenon. I wanted to ask you, are, are you familiar uh, with Bassam Youssef? Sure. And I talk about Bassam in the case as well. That's why I'm I brought him up. I talk in about Bass case in the book. Yes. That's why I wanted to bring this up is that Bassam Youssef, and people will have to read your book because Bassam is, is just an incredible case. I hope wherever he's at, he's at peace. Because the FBI did him wrong. He was, and I'm just going to give a quick thing about him. They can read about him in your book. But he was the leading speaker, uh, Mideast. He could speak that language. He had all of the contacts in the Middle East. I mean, he was phenomenal. I've met him. He's phenomenal, like you. He was just phenomenal at what he did in counterterrorism. And... uh, the FBI, that was after 9-11, got rid of him and put in people that they wanted to reward because they were good old boys. Just a a terrible miscarriage. I often think of him because, uh, like I do of you, I'm serious, because the unfairness is so acute. And it's it's hard to understand. Right. And especially there was such a shortage of yes. Arabic speakers. There was such a shortage of people who had knowledge of the Middle East, that had knowledge of the groups. He and, and I, I talk about a number of agents who 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 at a time, and again, this is a period where the FBI is in flux trying yes. to become a counterterrorism agency. And there was a great interview that uh uh, Jeff Stein did, uh, and and actually that uh, I believe it was Steve Cohen, but somebody from uh, uh, the National Whistleblower Center who represented Boston um, uh, did in cross examination, where these people who had been point, appointed as the you know assistant director in charge of counterterrorism had no terrorism experience, none, none. Couldn't explain the difference between Sunni and Shia Islam yes. or why it was relevant to uh, Middle Eastern terrorism. I, I mean, just right. Exactly. And, and not just that they didn't know it, but as, as one person said, I don't need to know that to manage this program. No, I'm an FBI agent. We can do anything. That would be like hiring a general contractor to build your house who had never built a house before and didn't know anything about, exactly. about construction. It's you know, insane. Right. I mean, I, I, I suppose it could be done, but it's certainly not uh, <laughs> be a good job. Ideal. No. And and but the the patronage program in, in the FBI is so strong. It was like when I put in for an Indian desk back at headquarters and they gave some guy out of Jersey. And I said, the guy can't even spell Native American, much less run a program. And they said, yeah, but we knew him. And I thought, well, okay, all right, well, that's a good one. Right. But yeah. Yeah. you, I, I want to get back on you now because this is all about you. You were the leading 
professional. You were the leading expert. And I want to ask you, Mike, because we, we talked about where these people come from, but you are particularly great at exposing the fact that these neo-Nazis and white supremacists are in positions of authority and in our law in law enforcement. And I want to ask you, you teach about it. Right. How did they get there? And <laughs> why, why, and and you've even told me, hey, they're in the FBI. Sure. Why do they want to be there? What are they planning to do? And what are we doing about it? Um, so, you know, again, you have to understand the history of law enforcement and even the current state of, of our criminal justice system is imbalanced to where it looks at some crimes as more seriously or, or more deserving of uh, uh, harsh penalties, right? I, I mean, even just look at um, the way uh, the, the uh, mortgage crisis played out where, uh, you know, the very few of those bankers went to jail, even though the harm that they inflicted on society was much greater than the average bank robber. Mm -hmm. But a bank robber goes to prison for a long time right. uh, and, you know, likely goes to a maximum security prison. That's that right. Not, you know, where if the banker who stole, you know, a thousand times the, the amount of money with a stroke of a pen you know, maybe might go to jail, but if they do, it'll be a minimum security prison that has, you know, much less risk that that person uh, would have to uh, uh, accept uh, in that role. Um, uh, so, you know, part of it is that it's endemic to the function. Uh, certainly, there are any number of, of reports the FBI writes that white supremacist groups have a interest in infiltrating law enforcement. You know, we have certain goals that having people in place in law enforcement would be helpful. Uh, some of it is just natural. People who harbor racist beliefs go to college, they go become lawyers and later prosecutors because you know, you have a system that is structurally racist and that encourages people who have those beliefs to want to do that. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, there are some people who, you know, their their friends off the job are hanging out with a rough crowd and, you know, they they like driving motorcycles and looking like a, a, a tough guy. And so they're hanging with a group and there's a group that maybe starts to be friendly with them and pretty soon they're friends too. And now you're, you're being friendly with, with people that law enforcement officers shouldn't be friendly with. So there's all kinds of different ways that law enforcement has influenced this. But I think what changed during the Trump administration was that Trump was very effective in in creating uh, uh, an environment where there were his people, right? These weren't these weren't just Republicans who, because Trump was a Republican president, supported Trump. He had Trump fanatics, and among the Trump fanatics, he cultivated a a very violent and lawless policing group. 
right? Where remember he said, I, I, I don't want you to be uh, uh, easy with these criminals, bang their head against the, the roof of the car as they're getting in, don't protect their head. You know, that kind of lawless, violent, aggressive policing became his people. And, you know, after Charlottesville's Unite the Right rally became violent and he refused to denounce white supremacists. And, you know, that also made those his people. So now somebody who was a police officer who might not be racist or white supremacist is a big Trump fan. And they're at an event where here are other Trump fans and okay, they're his, they're all the same people, right? We're, we're all on the same team, effectively putting white supremacist groups and violent far-right militants on the same team with law enforcement. And that was, uh, that's authoritarianism number one, rule number one, right? You, you, you empower a group of thugs that are able to work hand in glove with law enforcement. So what you now normally see is what we saw all over the country after, after uh, uh, the Unite the Right rally, where, when even before it, you would see, you know, a white supremacist or far right militia group come into town community members would come out opposing them, they would be violent against those community members and the police would let them leave town without any enforcement and then would come in behind them and beat up the protesters again, Yeah. right? That their response to the protests were, were much more aggressive and violent uh, because there was this uh, environment created by Trump where he put them on the same side. And I think that's what led even in the FBI to this idea that the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers weren't really that big a deal. You know, they they weren't domestic terrorists. We're, we're going to treat them as informants who can tell us about the protesters who come out to oppose them. You know, this oh, so-called sure. anti-fascist, you know, so so we're on the same team as the Proud Boys using the Proud Boys to get information against our political opponents even though those political opponents are not really the violent threat, the proud voice for the violent threat. Right. Right. And, and wasn't it true that they, they thought that they even had two applicants from the FBI that uh, were in the oath keepers. That was a rumor somewhere. Uh, so, so there was a, a story published by uh, an Atlantic journalist named Mike Giglio uh, that, uh, that, that, uh, was working from uh, leaked membership applications for the Oath Keepers. And it, he mostly focused in the article about law enforcement uh, and military officials who were applying for membership. Um, but there was one line in there that said, among the applicants were two people claiming employment at the FBI. Uh, that, that came out in October of 2020, three months before the assault on the Capitol. I would I hope every journalist asks the FBI director what he did after that article came out and whether he did any investigation to determine whether FBI employees were associated with the Oath Keepers. And I would imagine I would imagine he didn't, which is uh, a problem. Yes, I bet you're right. But if he did, I would bet you that uh, you'd find more than a few who had improper relationships with these groups. Yes, yes. And I also want to ask you, you know, every director of the FBI said, oh, we're trying to get more minorities in. We're trying to get more women in. 
oh, we, we're really pounding the pavements trying to do this. But the numbers stay the same year after year after year. Right. I decided years ago they're lying. Um, right. Are they deliberately keeping it at that 98% or 90%? I don't know. It's still way high. It was like 98 when I was in. But are, are, are they deliberately doing that to keep this group that they feel uh, uh, is kind of typical of what they want as an FBI agent? Um, I, I think it's deliberate in the sense that they're not doing anything to change it. Right. And, right. And, and that is because of deliberate decisions they're making along the way. So, oh, the, okay. you know, you can't have the same results and say that you're trying to change it and not change what you're actually doing. Right. The FBI could diversify, could be diversified this month. Right. There, there are plenty of trained federal agents in the DEA, in ATF in Secret Service, in other law enforcement, federal law enforcement agencies who, who are the same employee class as FBI agents, right? They have the same credentials. They, they could easily say, look, we understand the lack of diversity in the FBI is a major failure that, that harms the effectiveness of the FBI. So this month, we're gonna go to all those agencies we're going to find agents there who are diverse, who have not just the, the proper credentials as a federal law enforcement officer, but a record of accomplishment, yes. right? We yes. go through the files and say, hey, this guy's a really great DEA agent, and just go to him and say, we need to diversify the FBI. We'd love it if you'd carry the FBI badge instead of the DEA badge. Wow, and that great. person could be an FBI agent tomorrow. Great, right? great or, idea. You know, you, you're a great uh, uh, ATF agent. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're a woman, we would love for you to come over to the FBI. And Great work. idea. Great you idea. Know, they could do that and, and revolutionize the FBI within six months. It'd be yeah. over. And we'd never have to talk about this problem again. Uh, right. Because, but you know, every every year, the director trots up to the hill and says, oh, right. God, we did everything we could. Right. And they just don't want to join us. And I, I know that's a lie. Right. But, of course, that's a lie. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and it was interesting at one point um, I saw on the FBI's uh, website, they had a, uh, a little blurb where they said uh, there was a, I think it was a magazine called Black Collegiate. And it said, you know, um, it was a, a, a poll where they said, oh, um, you know, a high percentage of, of people polled in this Black Collegiate magazine poll uh, um, are, uh, are, are find the FBI a highly satisfying place to work or something like that. And I thought, oh, you know, that differs from my experience. Well, uh, in, yeah. In, in talking to a lot of people, <clears throat> I'm going to need to go read this article. So I tracked right. down the article. And it wasn't that they found it a good place to work. It was a place they wanted to work in the service. Oh, big difference. What federal government agency would you want to work at? So, you know, not only <clears throat> was it not what the FBI was saying on their website, but it was exactly the opposite of what they're saying. That, in fact, the people who read Black Legion magazine wanted to be in the FBI if they sought a government career, uh, which 
you know, undermines this myth that people aren't applying. There are plenty of people applying. Oh, and, and you know, I mean, if, if you went to, uh, to the other federal law enforcement agencies and said, hey, you know, we, we'd love you to be an FBI agent. I imagine a lot of them would say yes. Oh. You know, and, and certainly the, they're, those are effective agencies as well. Perhaps they figure, you know, I, I'm in the ATF and I'm really good at arson investigations mm-hmm. and there aren't many FBI arson investigations. No. So I'm going to stay where I am, you know, but you're going to get a lot of them that are going to say, I'm kind of tired of arson investigations. I'd yeah. love to investigate, uh, you know, some other thing that's in the FBI's jurisdiction. So what, uh, that's that's an absolutely brilliant idea. And let me ask you, Mike, is that why the and we both know the FBI has an incredibly long memory and they never forget their whistleblowers when you're scheduled to teach? Because I my understanding is your reputation as a teacher is far beyond great. They clamor for you, I understand. And you are considered just a teacher that everybody wants about this subject of terrorism, civil rights, etc. Is it true that if the FBI hears you're on a panel or are speaking, they refuse to attend or uh, come into it? I, I've had that come up on a, a number of times where uh, I'll I'll be invited to speak at a particular event and make all the arrangements. And then I'll get a sheepish call from the organizer who says, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to ask you uh, to, to not come because, you know, we have another panelist who's an FBI agent, but they won't come if you're there. Uh, so would you please uh, withdraw uh, and, and not make a big deal out of it? Um, I, I've had other times I've had the people who organize it say, you know, it was this weird thing happened where where an FBI person said they wouldn't come if you were there, and we said, okay, don't come. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, so it it's also works against them. But but yeah, that's that's been an issue for for the entire time that I've been working in advocacy. And so, not only did you catch them in lies and a cover up, but you also have proven that they're petty. Right. It is yeah. very petty. And, yeah. and you know, I, I still have a lot of friends who are in the FBI and I, I get a lot of invitations to speak to law enforcement audiences, um, Department of Homeland Security audiences. Um, so it, it doesn't really hurt my career. Um, but, you know, it's the kind of thing that you would expect the premier law enforcement agency in the world, you know, especially uh, after all the abuses of the Hoover era that, uh, you know, that the FBI would use its tools and, and authority to go after people who, who the director personally didn't like or uh, was saying something politically um, uh, opposite of what his opinions were, you know, it, it, you know certainly a much smaller uh, way, but that sort of attitude remains. And, and they don't oh, yeah. want to listen to critics. They don't want to uh address the criticisms they you know and you know unfortunately the way congressional oversight works it's not really very effective in getting at these complex problems because they have such a short time with the director you know he's there for a hearing each member has five minutes to ask a question that includes the answers right they have five minutes 
So, you know, these, these high level officials are very well trained to filibuster, you know, answer with a long uh, answer so that you take up the time when you know that yeah. there's going to be a hostile question or, you know, with the diversity question, Christopher Ray is, is excellent at this, where he says, yeah. um, you know, he was asked about the lack of diversity and what the FBI was doing to get a more diverse workforce. And he said, well, I'm very happy to announce that this year's class is the most diverse we've ever seen uh, as far as applicant pool is as, as oh, diverse as, as we've ever had. And it's like, well, there's never been a problem with a lack of diversity in the applicant pool. Right. I like that. Oh. The problem is your, your process well, you're seems picking. to weed out that diversity. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Sometimes you must laugh when you watch these people get up there and testify. It's very frustrating. Yeah, I, yeah, it just must be. You got to be kidding me! So tell us what you're doing now, Mike, because you're you're performing a very vital, unlike some whistleblowers, I'm including myself in that, who take a long time to recover from the trauma. You have always uh, had a, a a core of steel, and you you're so professional, and you went on like nothing happened and you have done, well, you had two years off, but you have gone on to really be a gift to the ACLU and the Brennan center. And you are talking to the members of the public, the military politicians. So tell us what you're doing now, because I know you're a rock star in those circles. Uh, so unfortunately the, uh, you know, my, uh, education in how, how white supremacists uh, uh, conspire to commit crimes and, and the deficiencies in the law enforcement response have, have become uh, important. So I, at the Brennan Center, I wrote a series of three reports explaining why both federal and state and local law enforcement aren't as effective as they need to be on white supremacist and far-right militant violence. Uh, and those reports have uh, uh, included a report about uh, white supremacists within law enforcement. Um, so those are going through the policy circles. Um, I'm working with a number of Asian American community and civil rights groups uh, on a project raising awareness of the racial bias in a Justice Department program called the China Initiative, uh, in which um, it was ostensibly designed to address uh, espionage and, and economic uh, uh, intellectual property theft by, by the Chinese government. But oh. uh, unfortunately, the way that the program actually worked was to target uh, mostly academics and scientists who had Chinese ancestry. Uh, but we're not affiliated with the Chinese government. We're not spying. We're not stealing intellectual trade th secrets. Uh, uh, and in instead uh, being prosecuted for things like not filling out a conflict of interest form properly, uh, omitting some minor association with some uh, foreign university, these kinds of petty charges that had nothing to do with protecting the national security of the United States. And, you know, it's rare in the national security adv advocacy to actually have uh, results. And it was this week the Justice Department ended the program. Uh, obviously, oh. it won't end 
bias, but they ended the China initiative. Uh, so that was a, a happy, uh, uh, I think, important uh, decision that the Justice Department made that, that we're thankful for, even yes. though there needs to be much more aggressive oversight of these investigations, even when there isn't a formal initiative. Uh, before there was a China initiative, there was anti-Asian bias in, in uh, uh, espionage cases. And it will continue unless the bias itself is, is driven out of the FBI and Justice Department. Yes, yes. And I have to remark on the fact that uh, the FBI's loss is everybody else's gain. Uh, you have provided so much expertise and experience to so many people who are highly placed that it's almost like it was meant to be. Have you ever thought that? Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm pleased that that uh, that you say that. I, I appreciate it, and um, you, you know, I don't think I ever would have imagined it uh, would be that way. You know, I wanted to be an FBI agent from the time I was a kid, and, and would have loved to have continued doing the same kind of work that I was doing for the next ten years before uh, I was eligible to retire. Um, but. Uh, you know, I, I tried to make sure that my experience was at least useful. And it has been. And, and I will tell you, you got the highest reviews from the people at the ACLU and also from the Brennan Center. They raved about what a gift you were to them. And they can't even come close to how I feel about you, how, what a gift you are and how important you were. And I truly believe it was the FBI's loss because uh, you you have provided so much important. In fact, you kind of foretold of the assault on the Capitol. Right. I mean, you were writing about that before it happened. Right. The three reports I wrote all preceded yes. the attack on the Capitol. So. so you have this incredible ability to call it before it happens. You are on the forefront of this. And where do you think we're heading? with this white supremacist domestic terrorism problem? Where do you think um, it's going? Now, is, is Trump being gone help? Or is this a process that uh, doesn't make any difference? Um, you know, I, I mean, a lot has been made of um, the number of law enforcement officers and military and former military officials who participated in the assault on the Capitol. But there were also people who were elected representatives in other government positions. You know, we have to understand that this isn't just law enforcement in the military. It's also every other type of uh, powerful person in this country that can be part of this. So it is a, a much bigger problem. And I'm still not sure that the, that the FBI and Justice Department really understand it well enough to get in ahead of it. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I try to stay away from predictions. <laughs> uh, I'm not very good at that. Um, and I can just say that the state today is that many of these militant groups have have reformed and have learned from uh, their previous actions and are continuing to engage in violence and threatening behavior. Uh, all across the country, and law enforcement is not responding as, as aggressively as they need to. Thank you, Mike. Uh, you are really a superstar in everything you've done. I really appreciate it, and I thank you, Mike. We'll be in okay. touch, you know that. Thank you very much, Jane. I really appreciate it. 
I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Just as hard.